Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 25, verse 25. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Life is a wearisome business. This should not be a surprising statement to any of us. From birth until death, to varying degrees, we will labor for our daily provisions, feel the effects of our aging bodies, suffer the influences of evil in the world, and even battle the evil that is in our own hearts, such as life in this fallen world. It is no wonder then that we find ourselves tired, exhausted in body, and weary in soul. It is no wonder then that we are at times discouraged, parched of all joy. Life can be strenuous and bitter, so much so that we can declare with David, I am weary with my crying, my throat is dry, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. It is a fact then that we need encouragement, encouragement that refreshes our souls. We need the cold, water, cold drink of water on a hot summer day kind of refreshment. And Solomon tells us that good news is that kind of refreshment. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Solomon of all people understood the bitterness of life, but he also knew the joy of life. He recognized in the midst of the strife and toiling, God remained a good God and was doing good things for his people. It was joy for Solomon to see and to hear of the good things that God was doing. It is also joy for us. But we must realize this morning that the hearing of good news requires that it be communicated. Good news is no news if there is no one faithful in reporting it. The good that God is doing in our lives must be declared. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us to encourage one another and build each other up. Good reports encourage us. They remind us of God's love and faithfulness. They confirm for us that in spite of our weary labor and the apparent tyranny of evil, God is in control and is working out his good plan in us and in the world. We should be sharing good news with each other. The prayers God has answered, the truths he is teaching us in his word, the godliness and faithfulness that we see in one another's lives. This sharing requires us to be effective communicators and to be in consistent fellowship with one another. Unfortunately, we are often guilty of being too busy for fellowship or too prideful to share our lives with each other. Such selfishness is dangerous to our souls and deprives our brother and sisters of soul-refreshing encouragement. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. To rejoice is to joyfully proclaim and celebrate the goodness of God. Let us rejoice then so that God is glorified and others may be filled with joy. This proverb reminds us of our need to confess our sins. If you are willing and able, please kneel with me as we confess our sins to God. I guess give you just a little bit of background of everything we know about Amos the prophet comes 
straight out of this book. He's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. He was born in the town of Tekoa, uh, about 11 miles south of Jerusalem. I'm told you can see Tekoa from Jerusalem because of the uh, Jerusalem being up on the heights and the open terrain between uh, the two cities. Uh, he was a sheep breeder by trade, he tells us. And, and in chapter 7, he will add that he was a tender of sycamore fruit. Uh, in the late summers, when the pastures were uh, rather exhausted from grazing the sheep, the, the, the uh, herders would bring the shepherds into the sycamore groves. And uh, they would exchange their labor tending the, the trees for breeding rights, I'm sorry, for grazing rights. Uh, and Am that, that Amos did this personally uh, would indicate that he was a man of, of rather humble means. It would show that he, he isn't a man who hires uh, other people or at least not very many people uh, to do this work. It may be that he was himself a, a hireling of, of someone else. His message comes in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. That puts him about a hundred years after uh, the ministry of Elisha. Uh, it makes him a contemporary of Isaiah. You remember that famous passage in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Well, these were prosperous times. For, for Israel and for Judah. The two nations at that time were getting along with one another quite well and together uh, they came to dominate an area for a short time uh, that, uh, that invited comparisons uh, to the, the kingdom of Solomon. Um, and it was Amos, this, uh, this nobody, this shepherd from Tekoa who receives a word from the Lord to go and proclaim the coming doom. Go and proclaim the coming wrath of God. Uh, it, it was at a time when uh, things didn't look uh, too bad. Things looked pretty good. People were feeling uh, pretty secure and, and pretty optimistic. It was a tough job. Uh, for, for Amos to show up and begin preaching about God's wrath and coming destruction. But, of course, the prophet was, was right. Those prosperous times would soon be over. Uh, Paul notes in Romans 2 and verse 4 that God's goodness ought to lead men to repentance, but it doesn't always turn out that way, does it? That sometimes God's goodness brings uh, presumptuous uh, presumption and, and carelessness and um, fearless sinning which left to run their course will lead to outright apostasy is turning away from the living God and this would indeed be the case as you know first with Israel and then later uh, with um, with Judah well uh, obviously brethren we uh, cannot mine the rich depths of Amos all in all in one sermon uh, let's try 
uh, to make some edifying observations and applications from the uh, really the unique and intriguing way that Amos begins. Uh, in case uh, you haven't noticed, uh, the beginning of Amos is a setup. It's a trap. It is intended to get the people of Judah and Israel cheering for the destruction and God's wrath to fall upon all their enemies. Uh, so that uh, their own uh, sins would be self-implicated when, when the prophet turned and said, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not, uh, I will not set aside, turn away from its punishment. Uh, after all, who would, uh, who would have objected to Amos predicting all kinds of doom and destruction on all of these enemies that surrounded Israel. For three transgressions of Damascus, he said, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Damascus was and is uh, the capital of Syria, uh, a place that uh, is in the news quite a bit these days, a longtime enemy of the old covenant people. Um, and in those days, uh, Amos proclaimed a God sent disaster upon Syria because of cruelty they had committed against Israel because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron. Uh, Gilead can refer to a city or a region in, in the Transjordan uh, occupied by Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. It belonged to them. Uh, they had a hard time hanging on to it. Uh, the, en the enemies were always trying to take it from them and they were always, uh, when they were strong enough, having to go back and, and try to recover it. Sounds like it would have been a, a real fun place to live uh, if you were a, an Israelite. Um, but Syria is in line for big time judgment because of uh, their cruelty to the Gileadites in one of these in one of these instances. We don't know exactly what Amos meant when he said they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron, but you knew that the people who heard Amos, they knew exactly what he meant. It's easy to pick up that, that Amos was talking about a, a horrible and, and unnecessary violence, and Amos could preach that all day long to the people of Israel and hear nothing but amen brother preach it uh, verse 6 the Lord uh, says thus says the Lord for for six for three transgressions of Gaza and for four I will not turn away its punishment and Gaza and the other cities mentioned there are the cities of the Philistines and I don't I don't have to tell you that there was no love lost uh, between uh, the Philistines uh, and the people of Israel and Judah. And again, uh, the judgment of God would fall because of the terrible suffering they had inflicted upon Israelites. It says because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them to Edom. Uh, we don't know anything about the specific uh, instance, the specific circumstance. 
It just talks about a time when the Philistines had come in and captured a large number of the people of Israel, men, women, and children, and sold them as slaves to the Edomites. Who could ever forget uh, or forgive something like that? Think of those uh, girls from that uh, Christian school in Nigeria, kidnapped and, and sold uh, to be slaves or into forced marriages. And uh, Amos says in verse 7, uh, the Lord says, I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, which shall devour their palaces. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and, and on he goes. Even if you weren't so sure that Amos was really a prophet from God, you hoped that these things were going to happen. Uh, you, uh, just, you, the, the Philistines deserved it. Uh, for three transgressions of, of Tyre and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because it delivered the whole captivity to Edom uh, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. There had been good relations and even peace treaties between Israel and, and Tyre in the days of, of David and Solomon. That's what he means by the covenant of brotherhood. But in betrayal of that long-standing and even, even official alliance, Tyre had joined with the Philistines in the aforementioned cruelty. For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. The Edomites, of course, are the descendants of Esau, the brother of, of Jacob. His anger tore perpetually and his wrath forever. So I will send fire upon Teman, which will devour the palaces. On and on it goes like this, Ammon, and then Moab would know the wrath of God because of the horrible things that they had done. You know, the whole thing has a real nice cadence to it, uh, if you're an Israelite, for three transgressions of this enemy, and for four, and it, it all uh, it sounds very good, but then comes the abrupt turnaround and the finger pointing right back in their faces in, in chapter 2 and verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Well, it, it was a total setup, as, as I said. God certainly meant all the things he said about those other countries. Have, have no doubt about that, but the point of the prophecy was to expose the guilt of Israel and Judah in their hearty agreement that God ought to come and judge those wicked nations. They would implicate themselves. What, what were the sins of Israel and Judah for which they would face the wrath of God? Well, the starts out with a pretty general statement because they have despised the law of the Lord and indeed their sins were very general and broad. Uh, Amos is going to get pretty specifics. 
specific. Other prophets um, may major on idolatry uh, and um, or, or perhaps uh, sexual licentiousness, and, and these things are not absent from Amos. But the, the thing for which Amos is famous uh, is preaching about social issues, uh, about the way the rich uh, kept getting richer by using and exploiting and oppressing the poor, both through the judicial system and in the economic system through uh, the abuse of labor and the abuse of wages. Uh, it's, it's all very fascinating to, to study and ponder and certainly something that we uh, would find very applicable and something that we, we ought to pay attention to. Uh, but that's really beyond our scope for today. Uh, what applications can we make today just just from this opening of Amos and the way he began his prophecies? Well, let's make a couple. Uh, first, uh, have you noticed that people these days do not want a judgmental God? They don't want a God who comes in judgment. They want a nice God who, who only thinks of doing nice things. You've heard all about this God, this God who has unconditional love, right, for, for all, and this God who accepts you just the way you are. You've heard all about that God. That's the kind of God people want, except when they see other people doing evil and it makes them angry. Then they want God to strike, don't they? Then you hear people saying, why does God let them do that? Why does God let them go on and on? Well, uh, the whole thing reminds me, brethren, of Romans uh, chapter 2. When Paul writes, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. That's exactly what Amos was setting the Israelites up to do. Um, for you who judge practice the same things. Had their enemies come in and sold their brothers into slavery? Well, they themselves were oppressing and using and enslaving one another. Um, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 2, we know the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things, but do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, that, and, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Brethren, to say that all sins are the same in God's eyes is just incorrect. It is just not true. It is, it is wrong. But what is true is that whenever you are just outraged by something someone else has done, what is always true is that the difference between you and that person, if there is a difference, is merely a matter of degree. 
It's merely a matter of degree. Whenever we pass judgment on someone else, we immediately implicate ourselves. We immediately condemn ourselves. And Amos, uh, in a very general way, in this beginning of his prophecy, reminds us of that great truth. And it calls us, brethren, to ease up a little on the moral outrage when someone has sinned against us or offended us. It reminds us uh, that there really is a right application of Matthew 7 and following. Sometimes we're so busy uh, correcting the wrong application of Matthew 7 that we forget to hear the Lord and accept and practice the right one. Do not judge that you will so that you may not be judged for in the way that you judge you will be judged and by your standard of measure it will be measured unto you does that mean you never ever uh, identify a sin in a brother and and call that brother to repent well obviously it doesn't mean that does it but it does mean that you better be very very humble about it and while you're doing it you better remember uh, that you and that sinning brother share a lot of common ground right well that's that's the first general message that we learn from Amos in cheering for the judgment of God upon others we uh, always to one degree or another implicate ourselves and so we need to remember that and humble ourselves and have a gentler and, and more forgiving spirit and be remembered to seek God's grace for ourselves and for others. But I think the primary application uh, from this first part of Amos has to do with covenant presumption. Covenant presumption. Amos uh, sprang his trap on God's covenant people. He sprang his trap, this setup that he constructed upon the chosen people of God. And brethren, we are covenantal Christians. Uh, we understand, don't we, that, that God relates to us inside the framework of a covenant. And if this covenant means anything at all, if this covenant provides anything at all, it provides for grace. It, it provides for the forgiveness of our sins. The, the greatest thing God's covenant gives us it just happens to be the greatest thing that we need. Forgiveness from God. Grace and acceptance from God. And that makes this this covenant such a, a blessed and glorious thing. But there is a warning to God's covenant people. It's repeated all over Scripture, and it is a warning against the notion that because God has included us in His covenant, because God has given us access to this ongoing of forgiveness because that is true then actually turning from evil actually fearing the Lord turning from evil 
resisting the devil, as James puts it. Well, actually doing that is not so big a deal. After all, we have this covenant of grace, right? It's, it's all stipulated. It's all laid out for us. In the old covenant, God, uh, God's people had the temple and the sacrifices. They could come to the temple with the appropriate sacrifice and they could, they could um, confess their sins and they could walk away from that place knowing that their forgiveness had been made formal and official by God himself. That's, that was the blessing of the temple and the sacrifices. Now, now in the new covenant, every local church is the temple. Every place that God's people meet and gather, the Lord tells us that is his temple now. When we, when we gather together here on Sunday, uh, according to the book of Hebrews, we are caught up spiritually to the heavenly places uh, where Christ is ministering as our high priest. And that is why we are here. That is what we came for, to avail ourselves to this grace, this covenantal grace that has been provided for us in Christ. That is why we come to the Lord's table. We, we walk out of here with the assurance, just as our old covenant brethren did, walking away from the temple. We walk away from the temple, from, from God's new covenant temple, with this great sense of relief and blessing and assurance because Jesus Christ, our high priest, has just in a very formal and official way declared us forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. It's a glorious thing. But if we think that somehow means uh, that, that we are relieved uh, of the, the duty to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, then Amos has a word for us, doesn't he? It's the same word we see in so many places of scripture. For three transgressions of Judah and for four. I will not turn away its punishment you see. But aren't we the covenant? Yes. Yes, you. <laughs> the covenant didn't mean that you can walk all over God's commandments carelessly with it thoughtlessly and still receive the grace of God with an unrepentant heart. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4, for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Why do we labor and strive? Because we have faith. That's, uh, that's why. John in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope uh, fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 
Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Don't be, don't be tripped up by John's absolute um, terms. Uh, John is the, uh, he's the quintessential Jew in the way he expresses himself. The point is not that only perfect Christians are real Christians. The point is that lazy complacency when it comes from turning away from sin and pursuing obedience to God, such lazy complacency uh, is a very bad sign. It ought to be a very scary sign to you. It is evidence that there is no faith, no real faith, and without faith it is impossible to please God. This is, this is the great reminder that we have in, in the beginning of Amos. We are saved by faith, and faith without works is dead. This is why God's covenant people, God's chosen people, God's the people who have this, this covenant uh, grace from the Lord, this is why they are still reminded to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. If we think the covenant means there's no reason to fear the Lord anymore, woe be to us. Let me close with uh, this quote from uh, 2 Corinthians 6 and leading into uh, verse 7. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. For three transgressions, or for four, the fullness of our sin brings condemnation and death, which is why our Lord had to die on the cross. Jesus took our penalty, he bore our transgressions, and therefore delivered us from our guilt, our shame, and our misery. God took a divine seed, killed it, and planted it in the ground. Then he resurrected Jesus and brought the hope of deliverance we desperately needed. And because the dead now come back to life, we live in the new life that overcomes the wickedness and death of sin. Jesus bled for us, so we now live in him and for him. In this meal, our hearts, our minds, and our souls are reminded of this truth. Jesus became food and drink for us that we might truly live. The Lord's Supper is for those who are baptized, and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine, you acknowledge that you are a sinner without hope, except in the sovereign mercy of God, and that you trust in Christ alone for salvation. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. 
If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.